0: Thank you, Ron Carter. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for the invitation to be here. Thank you, First Baptist, for being here. You know, last week I was bringing Israel to an audience in Rome, Georgia. It was so cold up there, I thought, hey, hang on, just make it to next weekend. You'll be in Brunswick. <laughs> you can just lay out in the sun. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Actually, we're going to, we may be in Brunswick, but we're going to go to Israel. Thank you so much. We're going to go to Israel today, this morning, tonight. And if you can join us Monday and Tuesday, tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, we're going to be there. Let me just give you a a quick heads up on on where we're going. Tonight, 6 o'clock tonight, right across the street, Beach Hall, we're going to go to the valley where David killed Goliath. He faced his giant there. And this message is called Facing Your Giants. What is little known about this valley, the Valley of Elah, is that the second time David came to this valley, he had just had a panic attack. Fear got the better of him. We'll chase down the whole story tonight. David overcame his fear and told us how he did it and became the greatest king in Israel's history. If you're a student, if you're a young adult, if you're my age, and you want to know how to overcome your fear, I think David has some clues for us, and we're going to let the land help us learn that story tonight at 6 o'clock. So now, tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock is when we start Monday and Tuesday. Uh, A lot of the lessons from the land are like secrets hidden in plain sight. And we're going to chase down the lesson of living water. Jesus said to a woman, if you had asked you could have had living water a lot of israel looks like a desert but there is an oasis in the judean wilderness that will help you understand what she came to understand about jesus more than any other we will chase down the desperate search of living water tomorrow morning and then i know a lot of you are concerned about what's going on in israel right now and so the second session tomorrow morning um, i'm going to take you to the Gaza strip i'm going to show you how small it is i'm going to show you some of the um, some of the reasons this war has developed. We're going to tie in the ancient biblical connection between God's people and the people on the coastal plain. They have been at war for the better part of 3,000 years. This is just the most recent one. And we will meet some of the people there, and as always, take away some of the lessons we're not here just to get a t-shirt that says we were the only church that went to israel this these few days um, we're trying to get better lessons better lessons and so that's a time for war it's a very serious topic uh, that's tomorrow morning the second part of our two-part series tomorrow morning then on on tuesday morning we're going to go to jerusalem I'll, I'll take you down to via dolorosa we're going to let the land the city of jerusalem and the area around it help tell the story of the crucifixion and after we get through with that we're going to go to the resurrection i know we'll we'll start in jerusalem but we will wind up at the sea of galilee and i like to call it the forgotten chapter of the resurrection story do you remember when simon peter denied jesus in jerusalem and then jesus came to him in the sea of galilee he was embarrassed he was disappointed in himself He had disappointed Jesus, and yet Jesus called him again. Here's the deal. Let me just go ahead and give you the punchline. If you've ever felt like you've disappointed yourself or Jesus in this walk of Christianity, I want you to know there's still enough grace for you to be a part of God's work. And that's where we're going to be Tuesday morning. A lot to cover. Well, let's go ahead and get started this morning by going to the gates of Hades. I, I know you, you know, let's just go to the gates of Hades. Some people say the gates of hell. So uh, we'll see. Right. The, Bible, here's, the Bible says so many times this story happened in this location. Now, if you want to look at this particular story, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. We will not cover the story until the end of the message. I just kind of give you a heads up. Sometimes I'll say, Now let's read the scripture, and they're like, Oh my word, we've been here half an hour. No, listen. If we read the if we read the scripture, we're almost done with this message. And the message begins though with the the famous words that we usually don't pay any attention to. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, how many of you have been to Israel? I'd like to see a show of hands. I need to know who I'm talking to. We've got a lot of hands going up in this room, and yet From a percentage point, maybe not even 10% of the people in this room just raised their hand. What I have found is that in America, only 1% of the people who attend church every Sunday, who actually attend church, who would like to go to Israel maybe, only 1% will ever get there. Only about 15% of the pastors. And so years ago, as I began discovering these lessons, these secrets that are hidden in plain sight, I, I, I longed for a way, To, in a sense, bring the Israel experience, the Israel tour experience to people who can't make the trip. And so if you didn't raise your hand, I'm really here for you. And if you did raise your hand, I have learned a lot by by watching these, these videos, these drone videos. Let's fly to Israel, shall we? If you have ever made this trip in an airplane, this is so much more comfortable. It's also free, and it will take about 30 seconds. So let's just use Google Earth. I will tell you, look, take a look at our country. Look at the water in our country. We have so much water we play in the water, so much fresh water. That's our biggest natural resource other than our people. Look at the Middle East. What's missing? They have a lot of oil, but they're missing the water. And yet Israel is this tiny little land bridge. By the way, you can put 6.8, almost seven Israels inside the state of Georgia now georgia is a big state it's bigger than you may have realized but israel is a very small place this tiny little strip of land has enough water to maintain life and so if you were in europe and you had goods you wanted to sell to egypt if you're in egypt and you want to sell them to the persian empire all of the ups trucks all the fedex trucks are going to make their way all of the 18 wheelers are going to make their way along that coastal plain where there's water because they didn't have automobiles and trucks they had animals and people making this journey and they had to follow the water and so israel while it's maybe small and you may have wondered why would such an important story happen in such an out-of-the-way place that's not that's not the reality at all israel is the center of the ancient world anything that happened in israel was going to be known in africa europe and asia in a short period of time as soon as those travelers could get there with the message the story of jesus spread like wildfire speaking of jesus let's go down to the sea of galilee jesus left nazareth really wasn't all his idea the people of nazareth kicked him out and he went over to the sea of galilee and on the northern end of this small lake he sets up his ministry the sea of galilee is much smaller than people Re, you know imagine they, they think of it as a sea as an ocean no it's just a lake 13 miles long about seven miles wide at its widest point up in the north and on the northern shoreline is the bible belt the bible belt of the Galilee region places like Chorazin Capernaum, Magdala, remember Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, um, Bethsaida, where a couple of, the, three of the disciples actually were from Bethsaida. And Jesus settles in Capernaum. He chooses this community to base his ministry in. Now that should raise some question marks, and maybe you'll put a little star by the word Capernaum. What was it about Capernaum that when Jesus chose a place to live, he would choose this community? The synagogue is the center of the community. It's very large. The synagogue you're looking at was built roughly 300 years after Jesus lived here. Uh, Israel is prone to earthquakes. The Middle East has some earthquakes, and these buildings are built out of stone. And there was a huge earthquake that knocked down the synagogue that Jesus knew, and then a new one had to be built 300 years later. But look how large it is. I had a tour guide a jewish tour guide who stood here one day and said you know this building is archaeological evidence that jesus lived and i'm like wow what'd you just say and he said well in these communities this community is far too small for a synagogue this big it's at least three times bigger than it needed to be obviously there was a school of teaching here that was very popular that was drawing people to capernaum and there had to be a famous rabbi in its past, and the only person in Capernaum's past that fits that bill is Jesus of Nazareth who moved to Capernaum. So it's actually archaeological evidence that 300 years after Jesus lived, after the earthquake, people rebuilt the synagogue, actually on the foundation of the old synagogue that Jesus had known, where Jesus had taught. And then the crowds got so big they had to move outside on the shoreline of the city, um, the, you know, and you can see plenty of shoreline there on the lake on the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Jesus started His ministry. That's where He called a lot of disciples. The synagogue is the center of the community. It dominates every Jewish community, um, in a sense even today in the religious world. Uh, but the synagogue is, is where people were drawn. And Jesus drew a lot of fishermen, A lot of fishermen. People who were fishing with their father. James, John, Simon, Peter, and Andrew were not fishing with their father. They had grown up in Bethsaida, the Bible tells us, and had moved over to Capernaum apparently. Now Simon, all of the disciples, I see we got a lot of students right here. All of the, the disciples were very young. They were very young. We would have looked at the disciples of Jesus and not thought of them as old men sitting around Leonardo da Vinci's table we would have thought of them as a high school youth group. And they were all following Jesus. Only one of them that we know of was married. Do you remember which one? You can answer out loud. Which one was married? Simon Peter. Some of you have been to seminary and you learned this because in the ancient days, the only way you could be, have a mother-in-law, and Simon Peter had a mother-in-law who was sick, was to get married. And I learned that in seminary. <laughs> Now there may have been another one that was married, I don't know, but we do know that Simon Peter was married, and we know that John was extremely young, so young the Bible tells us on occasion his mother traveled with the group. She was there in Jericho on the way up to Jerusalem, that's one of the times. Luke chapter 8 has a list of some of the other women who followed Jesus on a regular basis, that's that's luke chapter 8 the first four verses that's a pretty important verse for any woman in the room there were people following jesus on a regular basis he picked 12 to be his special disciples and many of them were fishing so many fishermen that some people would say what are you doing going fishing yes fishing for men i want to show you the school for a moment every synagogue had a school now the one the capernaum synagogue is the largest synagogue found from that time period and probably I don't think any any synagogue larger is going to be found in Israel today from that time period the school is also the largest school so maybe Jesus chose Capernaum because of its valuing the way it valued education some of you are probably educators or you value education Jesus did too In this school, and you can see very clearly in the ruins of the synagogue, the school that is attached to the side of the synagogue. In this school, the boys and the girls went to school until everybody's literate. Once everybody knows how to read and write and do the math, remember Hebrew letters have a mathematical value, so the text, they're, they're unscrolling scrolls, but the text is the only textbook for the entire community. People don't walk around with a copy of the text, if you wanted to have a personal copy of the text you had to memorize it and people did and we're going to deal a lot with that intriguing information as we go through this particular conference but i want to talk about the school just for a minute because we do have a lot of students and educators here all the boys and girls went to school until they were literate and then they sent the girls home i have three daughters i also have among our seven grandchildren three granddaughters i love my girls I love girls so much, at one point we had a girl dog, two girl cats, and all the deer in the yard were girls. <laughs> I told people I was king of my territory. And then the, the girls started getting married and they brought home husbands and I had a little competition and now the grandsons are there and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just one of the boys. But all of the girls went home because there, in that day, and actually up to about 100 years ago, there weren't many opportunities for women to, to do what God had called them to do outside of the home. So these girls in this community, they would go home and help mom raise the family. Cooking was a hard deal. You had to, I mean, it was not an easy thing just to get your family to survive. It was a full-time job. And so they sent the girls home. Some of the boys probably got sent home at that level too because there was a synagogue leader, a rabbi, you might say, for the community who would teach the children and when he thought that a child had gone as far as that child could go, maybe he lost patience with them. there were probably some teachers in the room thinking, this could be a good system." <laughs> he sent them home. He sent them to work with their fathers. Maybe their fathers baked bread for the community or worked with leather, or maybe they fished for a living. At, at, You could go to different levels of education until finally the rabbi might say to one or two just every few years, I've done all I can with you. You need to follow a rabbi, one of the traveling rabbis. Jesus was one of many traveling rabbis. And you would go to the rabbi and you would ask, may I follow you? And the rabbi would say, well, yes, follow me for, for a season. And for two or three days they would walk together and they would ask questions of one another. And the rabbi would learn from the questions whether or not the young student had the potential to be a clone of himself. Usually the rabbi would turn to the potential disciple and say, I'm sorry, you can't follow me. Go home. Go home. Be a blessing to your community. You've learned so much. I'm impressed. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, but no, you can't follow me. Jesus came into this community, that community right there, and who did he start calling? He started calling young men who were working with their fathers, which means someone in that room had already told them you're not good enough to follow a rabbi we could stop right now and have a celebration that Jesus our rabbi loves to change the world with people on the bench he can change the world with b-teamers he can change the world with someone in this room who may not feel quite qualified to change the world. No, you can change the world. Jesus changed the world with people that someone else had already said, no, there's no way you can't follow your can't follow a rabbi. And Jesus can change the world with you. In fact, I would I would say this: if you think you're qualified, he might not be able to use you. Now, he he kind of had a problem with the people who thought they were qualified. A lot of Pharisees were. We're trying to be equal with Jesus. No, no, follow your rabbi. Well, let me me move on. Uh, Jesus would often say, come, follow me. The disciples who were behind him did not know where he was going. He got frustrated, Jesus did, with some of the the pharisees in the region and, and jesus he said come follow me now what he's going to do he's going to take them far to the north to the northernmost tip of israel today at a place called caesarea philippi if you look it up on the map it's going to be called banias b-a-n-i-a-s but for two or three hundred years it was known as a city that philip named for the emperor caesarea caesarea philippi philippi now as jesus takes his disciples on this road trip and they're going to get out of the Bible Belt. He's going to follow the Jordan River. By the way, that's the Jordan River. Are you impressed with that? It's like the Jordan Creek. That's a bigger section of it. And every time we see it, the, the guides love to point out, there's the Jordan River, and you can just hear the wind go out of the bus. People from Texas seem to be especially disappointed in the size of the Jordan River. Um so jesus goes over to Bethsaida, and he starts walking north along the river why do we know he went to Bethsaida and walked north because people are walking they have to follow the water and they, they're going to that's where the road's going to be these are some some new ruins of what might be Bethsaida, right by the shoreline of the sea of galilee these are some older ruins just up the road that have been claimed to be the ruins of Bethsaida for some time both of these communities are in the right zone And both of them would have surely been visited by Jesus and the disciples. This is very near the area where Jesus fed the 5,000. As they go up, as they follow the river, they're going to be in the Hula Valley, H-U-L-A, the Hula Valley. And they're going to be on a two-day hike to get to Caesarea Philippi. Maybe two and a half days, depends on how many stops they make. But remember, these are students, and Jesus is one of the fittest human beings you would have ever met. He was a carpenter for the first part of his adult life and he walked everywhere. People walked everywhere in this land. And they follow the river, they follow the Jordan River, they follow the streams, they follow the road that people had been following for a long time. They're getting further and further away from their comfort zone. They haven't, by the second day they will not see a synagogue. This area in the north is very pagan. This is Philip's territory. Philip, one of the sons of Herod. and and this there are no synagogues up here this is the place where your parents just they would not have ever dreamed that Jesus would take their sons here I, I don't think John's mother would have signed the permission slip for this field trip if she had known where they were going for instance as they get up to the north where it's time to turn right they get to a landmark and this is the temple of Amrit the temple of Amrit uh, it's a, a fairly new find, found in 1998. There was a brush fire up here, and people walked up there. They saw the unusual rocks. They knew they had found an old site, and so the archaeologists came in. It took them almost no time at all to determine what they were looking at. The Temple of Amrit is a temple built to honor the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus in this case. Herod the Great built it to honor Augustus as God incarnate as god on earth you want to know what god looks like when god becomes a human being herod the great built this temple and says well just look to rome and look to the emperor julius caesar had started this nonsense and and julius caesar had been around for herod's father herod the great of the christmas story just to try to connect all the dots and so the emperor worship was just starting and herod the great built three of these temples in israel in the land where you shall have no other god before the only true god he built three of these temples to honor the roman emperor as god on earth this temple way up on the hill overlooking the hula valley would have just shone like like somebody put a spotlight on it when the sun comes up early did you see the sun this morning it's nice and low in the sky because it's winter it's just brilliant imagine going through those those white limestone columns in a in a land filled with black basalt rock this this building was built out of white limestone it was shipped in it was expensive to do all of this And there's that, that, imagine the disciples waking up, they've been camping out, and there's this temple that proclaims the emperor is God on earth. That's what God looks like when God comes to live with us. And Philip looks to Matthew, and Matthew looks over to Judas, and they're all scratching their heads. And I bet you they're having some conversations that begin to sound like this, who are we following? After all we've seen Jesus do, if the roman emperor he never heard of him curing a cult you know look at all the things jesus has done who are we following and actually the journey you see is setting up the question jesus is going to ask when they get three miles away to Caesarea philippi because jesus will turn and say well what are our people saying about me and they say well they're saying some good things maybe you're john the baptist come back to life or maybe jeremiah or elijah one of the prophets and then he will turn and say well what about you who do you say that i am now that's where our passage is again you can tell i'm getting toward the end of the message because i just gave you some of the passage (laughs) let's go to Caesarea philippi and finish it up but they're only three miles away there's mount hermon at the with snow on the top it'll have snow on the top until april each year There's a ski resort up there. You can ski in Israel if you want to. And at the bottom of this mountain, at the bottom of this massive, massive mountain, the peak is actually in Syria. At the bottom of the mountain, the Jordan River begins. If you look on Google Earth, you can actually see the river winding its way towards Caesarea Philippi, toward Banias. It's the Banias River. Technically, it's going to combine with two other streams and form the Jordan. But this more than any other place, is the birthplace of the Jordan River. If not for the Jordan River, all of Israel would be a desert. The Jordan River gives life to the land. Water is life. And at the bottom of this hill is an enormous cliff, a very large rock, you might say. And in that rock is a hole. And the river used to come out of that hole. Another earthquake closed it up new year's day 1838 big earthquake it killed 6,000 people that's why we know about it it knocked down cities all the way down to the sea of galilee a long ways away 40 miles away and up here it closed up that cliff you'll look we'll give you a closer look at it in just a moment but this is where the jordan river begins and jesus brings his disciples to the region of caesarea philippi and when you get here I mean it's amazing to walk around near that that hole in the cliff and then you can see the little the little squares the rectangles and to get up here and to hear a God talk this was a place of pagan worship no synagogue not by a long shot these are all places of pagan worship there's the temple to uh, Pan the temple to Zeus the temple uh, there was a there was a temple to the dancing goats Every church has an interesting place of worship. This was the Temple of the Dancing Goats. I'm just visualizing that. Nobody else sees the humor in that this morning. But I would check it out, you know. Uh, There was also another one of these temples built to honor the emperor as God on earth. And it was built over the river as it came out of the hole in the ground. Do you see that? And this is an artist's rendition. We don't know what it looked like because the river took away all of the remains of the temple except for a little bit of it. But there was some great plaza here to again acknowledge the emperor as God on earth. And look at the message that is being sent by intentionally building this emperor worship temple, this emperor temple, over the water. Water is life. If you don't have the Jordan River, you don't have life. The gift of life to this country comes through Rome, through the emperor the devil will always try to take God's good gifts and twist the message and Jesus has brought his disciples here and when you get up there you can see uh up close and personal the the largest uh window looking thing is where the 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 temple of Pan was Pan if you if you know your mythology if if you've ever had to study that in Greek mythology Pan half goat half man Happy-go-lucky leads children in the meadow, and yet there's a dark side to pan. Dark side. We get words like panic, pandemic, pandemonium, and pancakes from the word—no, wait a minute. <laughs> One of those is not, not true. But, but think about it. How did we get the word pandemic and Pandora's box and panic? It comes from the worship of pan— There's a dark side to things that are happening here. And picture this, not in broad daylight, but at midnight with the drums and fire and people screaming and someone's going to die or something's going to die. There were goat sacrifices for a long time here, but there were also child sacrifices. When Jezebel came into this community, came into God's community in the northern kingdom of Israel, um, child sacrifice came with her. And Elijah said, God's had enough. And you remember the story of Elijah. That was centuries before Jesus. But here at this place, in that hole, there were children, apparently, cast to the gods. They were trying to lure the gods out of Hades. And they they reached a point where they believed they they had to be lured out with a blood sacrifice. You see, in, in that ancient belief system and pagan belief system there's an underworld and they called it hades they called it hades and that's where every winter like this season of life where we are right now every winter the gods would go down into hades and in a sense hibernate and if spring is going to come if my wife is going to have a child if our goats are going to reproduce if our crops are going to make the community believes somehow we got to get the gods to come out of hades and and we gotta lure them out and we gotta wake them up. Remember, Elijah on top of Mount Carmel said, Maybe your God is asleep. So we gotta lure them out. And 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 so they would throw the sacrifice into the cave because that cave so mysterious. Remember the water used to come out of the cave. It's blocked up now for the last couple of hundred years. But when Jesus was there, the water just came rushing out of the cave. It was a mysterious hole. Josephus, the historian, said they never could measure the depth of the water. It's just an endless source of water that's like, boom, you got a river. It's a mysterious place, and it became this place of pagan worship. That became known as the Gates of Hades. And I remember standing there the first time a guy just casually mentioned that. And I thought, the What? And I looked in my Bible in Matthew 16. You want to see it for yourself? Open it up. Matthew chapter 16, what, verse 13? It says, when they came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus turned and asked his disciples, who do do men say that I am? And they said, well, maybe a prophet. Maybe John come back to life. What about you? The most important question in the Bible. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And it's Simon Peter who steps across the line in this location with all this pagan stuff around him and says you're the christ the son of the living god you're the one we've been waiting for and jesus says blessed are you simon son of jonah this has not been revealed to you by human beings but rather by my father in heaven and i'm going to tell you simon something else i'm going to call you peter the rock cephas and then he says something that we often confuse with peter's name because he said on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not prevail against it all of this stuff represented by this crazy area up here it's not going to stop what i'm doing jesus never built a building he never started a denomination never even heard the word christianity but what What I'm doing down there in the Bible Belt, all the healing, all the miracles, all the teaching, we're going to come to places like this, and they're not going to stop us. Not me, not you. Not today in Brunswick, Georgia. The gates of Hades will not prevail against you. Now, there are three ways to look at this. This this won't take but a minute. Some of you grew up Catholic, uh, maybe you have Catholic friends, or maybe you're just kind of aware of the world. There are three ways to interpret what Jesus said, and the Catholics like to say, well, that's why we have a pope. Simon got a new name, every pope gets a new name. Simon's given the keys to the kingdom, we give the pope all this leadership. But Protestants came along and said, no, it's what Simon said. It's that confession of faith. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Pastor Chris already alluded to it. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you're, you're wondering about this and you want to take a further step and you can come to the, uh, the first, what did you call it? First steps, first steps class? Starting point. Starting, point. starting point, the starting point. You can come to this class next week and you can learn more. I, you don't have to wait the next week. Talk to us this week. We, we would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and that confession of faith it's so important at some point in your life to stand up and let people know who you follow doesn't that make sense about every other part of life you do they know if you're a college football fan do they happen to know which team you pull for i bet they do if you decide you want to get married have you noticed you can't do that secretly, privately? You've got to stand up in front of somebody. And, and, you know, I remember when it happened. You know, right? everybody's watching. It was kind of nerve-wracking, you know. But, but I was so excited. I take you. No one else. I take you. And then I started praying. Please say the same thing to me, you know. <laughs> and she did. She did. That was 45 years ago. You know, the confession of faith to say to people I have decided to follow Jesus wow it came back thank you here's what I think Jesus wanted his young disciples to know more than the confession of faith in this particular story just look at the land look where they were he took these disciples of his to one of the ah, not one of the. I think it's the darkest corner in Israel in that day And he said everything we were doing down there where you felt so comfortable where everybody sang the same songs they looked like you they talk like you they feel like you they probably vote like you you know i know you were comfortable down there but that's not what this is about we're going to get out of the box and go to places where people don't vote like you where they don't look like you where they don't live like you we're going to go to places where people desperate for hope and that's that call has not changed in the last 2,000 years and you got to find your place you got to find your way to fulfill the Great Commission maybe prison ministry is your thing that was a big part of my ministry still is or maybe it's uh you know feeding people or helping people find clothing or housing maybe it's the sheer gift of evangelism I don't know what your gift is, but between you and the Lord, you need to find that out and absolutely get it it going. And, And I tell you, one of the clues of knowing when you've found the right thing is it's going to make you nervous because it gets you out of your comfort zone. Well, remember this, when you get there, the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against you. You're going to see the joy. You know, it's like every mission trip. People come home telling the stories they're going to tell the rest of their life. Yes, I was nervous when we left, but I cannot believe what happened and I can't wait to get back. Well, let me finish this up. The Jordan River comes out of the gates of Hades and wanders down through Israel. Eventually, Jesus would indeed give that great commission. He would say, Go into all the world and make disciples. And when you make those disciples, I want you to baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the way they're going to identify with me. And I know you know it means to be lowered with him into death and raised to walk in the newness of life. Look at one more little aspect of this diamond, the symbolism. Because you see, the, the devil, demonic forces lived in the water in that ancient world. And Jesus said, look, be lowered down into enemy territory. And we'll raise you right back up they're not going to hurt you it's just like death not being able to hurt you you take one last breath here as difficult as that breath might be the next breath you take is going to be the sweet air of heaven and aren't you glad Well, listen being identified with jesus it's not just about joining a church, as great a church as this one is. And maybe you want to be a part of it, you've been a part of it for years. You know, that's not the end all cause of Christianity. Don't put Jesus in the box of this beautiful building. What we're supposed to do is gather here each week and be inspired to go out there somewhere and do your thing so that the world will know there is a hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's go get it done. God, thank you for drawing us together. Thank you for this time. Um, thank you for the technology. We, we joke about it, but there really is no other way to tour Israel this week except by way of virtual tour technology. Uh, so please, use these tools for your glory and our good this week and this morning. Um, maybe, maybe you were trying to get some word through to some certain individual. God, I thank you so much that you're so capable through your spirit of doing exactly that, I pray each one of us would have the courage to do what you've called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Would you stand together, please? Thank you, Andy, for your, your words. And so there's been a challenge that's been given to us. That challenge to find out what your what your call is and go do it. And so I just want to offer you an opportunity to respond to that. And maybe you need to come to the altar to pray over that challenge, that call, that ministry in your life, that we can't keep Jesus to ourselves. We can't do it. You gotta tell people the greatest news that has ever happened. And you have it. So I challenge you, as Ron's going to lead us in a song here in a second, if you need to come and pray and, and almost recommit to, to what God's called you to do, I challenge you that. And the second one is this, maybe there's somebody who's here whom you have never been identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you have been in the grasp of the gates of Hades and you sense the spirit of the living God pulling upon you and calling you to come home, to turn from your ways, and to receive the grace that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone gives. If that's you, as soon as we sing, come forward, I'll be here and you'll be here, Britain will be here, but don't leave this place without answering the question that Jesus asked Who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Father, have your way with us this morning, and we respond to the calling of your spirit this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.